Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Have you heard of the Dunedin study? Give us a wave if you have. The Dunedin study? Well, oh, good. Oh, you guys rock. All right, well, this is Mrs. Bronwyn Geisman. He's going to tell us all about the Dunedin study. I only know about it because it was the year I was born. Um, 1972, Dunedin University took, um, took, I don't know how many children from 1972, and they've studied them all throughout their life, looking at nurture versus nature and a lot of different things. That's pretty darn good. Big hand for Mrs. Bronwyn Geisman. In fact, it was over a 1,000 children. It was every child born in Dunedin over a whole year, all right? It's a very, very big thing. They decided what they'd do, they'd track these kids for the first three years to see what, kind of con- what, what happened to them when they grew up under different conditions. But somebody must have got keen because they haven't stopped yet. And now those kids are in well into their 40s, and they're still studying them, and there's still a 1,000 of them in the study. Most of them are still alive, and 94% of the survivors are still in the study. Goodness gracious, I don't know where they fly them from, but every, every time they do the study, they take them to Dunedin, Dunedin, they sit them down, and they give them eight hours, eight hours of assessments, tests, and examinations, and interviews to see how are you going. They want to know about their health, their behavior, their situation. And so if this works, and my goodness it does, what it means is we can find out what sort of things are good for us? What sort of things are good for kids when they're growing up? And we're not just guessing, we can actually see what the results of these things are. Is that scary? Is it good? All right. So, for instance, here's an example. If you want to know about this, the answer is in the Dunedin study. If you want to know about childhood body mass index in endothelial dysfunction evaluated by peripheral arterial tonometry in early middle age, this is the study that you go to, all right? Did anybody want to know about that? Okay, what about this one? Uh, What about this one? TV watching in childhood. If kids watch lots of TV, I've translated this for you, does this make you more likely to have depression and anxiety when they're adults? You see, you have to have a long study to find that out, all right? So what do you think? If you watch a lot of TV when you're a kid, are you more likely to have anxiety and depression as an adult? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what. The answer is actually anxiety, yes. Depression, no. So you, you can't predict, hey, sometimes you have to do the research and find out. What about, does keeping fit in childhood help us to have healthy lungs as adults? No. Yes, no? no. What, the answer is, it gives you bigger lungs, more lung capacity, but the function isn't affected. Uh, what about this, is there any link between having a big brain and being brainy? The answer is yes. How about that? But you only know if you do the research. What about this one? Does breastfeeding help children to be more intelligent? When they actually research it, the evidence is very weak. Does exposure to lead as a child influence how likely someone is to be a criminal offender? Once again, the influence is very weak, all right? They they can't find a correlation. But you only find this stuff out if you do a long study, a lot of hard work. Intergenerational changes in adolescence, physical fitness and weight in New Zealand. Are kids nowadays as fit as kids were a generation ago? What do you think? The answer is no. They weigh more and they're less fit. All right? Now, here's a question for you. You came to church and Jeremy's giving all this stuff out. And the question is, should should Christians listen to scientists? Yes, I think we should, if we care about people as God does. See, we have this saying here, 
And the answer, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. What does that mean? What's the most important thing of all is people. All right, now if we care about people, and actually as Christians we're charged to care about people, then if we can find out what helps people to do well, we should. And if we're parents, we should. And if we're not parents, we might be parents one day. And if we're, well, hmm. So honest science gives us keys to help people lead better lives. I say honest science because there's a lot of dishonest science about there. Be careful. A lot of lies are going out from science these days. But the fathers of modern science were mainly Christians. Now, just one Christian scientist has been said to be the man who saved more people's lives than anyone else ever has. You're probably not going to guess who that is, are you? It was Edward G. You're very close. It was Edward Jenner who invented the vaccine that wiped out smallpox. Now, since that man invented that vaccine about 200 years ago, we, our guess is that maybe 100 million, maybe many more people would have died of smallpox. It was a terrible, terrible disease. It's been totally wiped out. And we could say that Edward Jenner saved all those people's lives by his science. And the scientists who worked for years to show the link between smoking and disease, how many millions of lives have they saved? And the people who discovered that asbestos is so dangerous, they saved lots, lots and lots of lives and saved lots and lots of misery. So yes, I read a lot of science, including some of the Dunedin study. Now, I read one study. There are 400 studies done on the Dunedin data that are, uh, that are published. Uh, I read one study, which was part of the Dunedin study, about which character quality in three-year-olds was the best predictor of how well they'll do in adulthood. We're looking for a character, a character quality. Okay, we want the kids who are going to do well in every way. They're going to do well in their physical health, their mental health, in road safety, in saying no to drugs, in risky sexual behaviour, in troubles with the law. Which character quality would be the one that you'd pick as being the one that will help kids to do well in their life? What's that? Empathy? What do you think? I'll give you a clue. It's in this list, all right? It's there. Fruit is the best character quality. <laughs> okay, eat lots of fruit, you'll do well. Mm, no, it's not fruit. Okay, it's, it's <laughs> start reading from love. <laughs> you silly people. <laughs> mm, okay, all right. Well, we've got some, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you, uh, so, so it says there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I'm going to read you what the scientists wrote. I'm going to read you their words, all right? And here's the first, the first four words tell me that these guys are telling the truth, all right? It says this, to our own surprise. Now, when scientists come up with a conclusion that surprises them, we could be fairly sure that they haven't just made their mind up first and then found the evidence to make it work, right? Because scientists do that sometimes. It's dishonest, but they do it. But these scientists were surprised by what they found. They weren't expecting it, but they're honest enough to tell us. To our own surprise, the 40-year study of 1,000 children revealed that childhood self-control strongly predicts adult success in people of high or low intelligence, in rich or poor, and does so throughout the entire population with a step change in health, wealth, and social success at every level of self-control. You got that? If we could give our kids more self-control, they'll be healthier, 
they'll be wealthier and they'll get on better with people. And they call it a step change. Actually, I think that's there. It is. There it is. They call it a step change because what that means is this doesn't just sort of creep up a bit in success. There are big, big steps up in success if kids can learn self-control. That's what it is. It's self-control. And that's not from Bible scholars. That's from scientists in one of the biggest studies that have ever been done in the world. Now, some of the studies I'm quoting tonight are American studies, but they've done them on the Dunedin data because it's the best data in the whole world. There's been nothing like it. So what is self-control? Self-discipline? Willpower? Somebody said it's won't power. They used to be, did you remember that ad? Do you remember that ad, Janie? It just had a picture of this yummy-looking thing, and it says, how's your won't power? See, because sometimes uh, self-discipline, sometimes self-control is not about what we will do, it's what we won't do, isn't it? It's won't power. Now, picture this. There's a chalk bar in the shop, and it's saying to you, eat me, but you've got no money, and you look around, and the shopkeeper's not looking. Are you going to take the chalk bar or not? If the answer's no, that's self-control, right? You open the cupboard at home, and there's a chalk bar on the shelf, and it's yours, um, or actually it's your nan's, but she won't notice, and, and you go, well, okay, I feel like eating this thing, but my doctor said if I don't manage my diabetes properly, it's going to lead to big problems later in my life. How is your self-control? Do you eat the chalk bar? Is it worth doing without the chalk now for the health later? That's self-control. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you, what? What could be he do to hereditary? No, I couldn't. You've got to be self-controlled. You might like chocolate or not. But hang on. Hear, hear me out there, Brian. Come on. There's more. All right. This one's for you, right? Sometimes somebody annoys you so much you feel like punching him in the snout, right? <laughs> Are you going to do it? Oh, you're not going to do it, right? What happens is, I'm t- talking about people annoying Brian. Okay, of course, of course. Now, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you going to punch him or not? The answer is to do with self-control, all right? The, uh, you, you're walking through town, it's a wet day, you're tired, and somebody has left the keys in the door of their car, okay? That's your ride home. Are you going to do it or not? The answer is self-control, all right? Some people are going, would you? Well, it's, if the answer is no, that's self-control. Having an affair. Sometimes you can get away with having an affair, or you, you think you will. Are you going to do it or not? Nobody will know. Self-control, see? I, 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 uh, I was in a situation where I could, I could get some free medical treatment. All I had to do was write down the name of my iwi on the paper. But I'm not Maori. Nobody would have noticed. Nobody would have known. And that's what people say. Like my Maori friends were with me. Just write down Tainui. But I'm not. That's self-control, see? I don't like medical treatment much either. Or else it's, it's onion day, right? We've got to go pick the onions today. It's a rotten day. The, our bed's nice and warm and cosy. Are we going to get up and pick those onions? Or are we going to stay in bed? Mm, yeah. Wouldn't see. Well, if it's for survival, you... Go on, go on. I haven't... That's a very hard question, but I haven't actually thrown those questions up today, right? I, I, because I didn't... I didn't present you with that scenario. That's a very hard one. Who's ever seen that, that, that show, Les Miserables, or read the book? Les Miserables? It is, it is. Now, Les Miserables starts like this. A man steals a loaf of bread to give to his child. And that starts the story, all right? That's a very, very hard story. 
a very hard story. None of the pictures that I just gave are life and death. None of them are. What if they are? That's a very difficult one. And that's a topic that I'm not talking about tonight because what I'm talking about tonight is self-control. And that's not to do with self-control. That's another area of ethics, all right? It's a sensible question, Wincy. But I think I won't cover it. All right? So because a large part of my focus is on children today, raising our kids to have self-control. Now, Aaron, where's Aaron? I asked Aaron to tell a story. This is a story of a boy. Well, Aaron will tell you the story. Come on. It's a good story. About 12 years ago, we had a young fella coming to our youth group. Um, Jeremy and I have done youth work along with a bunch of others for years. And um, we had a young fella coming along, and uh, we uh, really encouraged him because he had just landed a job at a, a sawmill up in Ohiniwai there, uh, Max Burt Sawmill. And he got a job stacking timber uh, with uh, working with a forklift operator. And um, so, yeah, I, I gave him a whole heap of tips about work and punctuality and making a lunch and the right footwear and all that sort of stuff. And we got him all uh, ramped up and excited. And for three weeks, he was just buzzing that he had, had this job. And he rocked up the next week with something, that, some shoes that he had bought and some different things that he had uh, got. And he was just absolutely humming that he was having a job and getting ahead. And I said, what are you doing? Are you giving, he lived with his nan, are you giving some groceries to nan? You know, it's not just about your shoes, all this sort of stuff. And he, he was getting this fulfillment with actually being in work and, um, and working at the sawmill there. Week four, he turns up to youth group and I say, how's work going? And he says, I got fired. And he's all devastated and he's all sad. And I said, well, um, uh, why'd you get fired? And he said, oh, the foreman told me I wasn't doing something right, so I punched him in the face and broke his nose and got instant dismissal. And he moped around for weeks around the house and kept on coming to youth for, for months on end, but a huge opportunity was lost because of lack of self-control. And think about the tragedy, all right? That, that boy, how long ago was that, Aaron? About 12 years ago. About 12 years ago. That boy now be in his early 30s. He, he would be the foreman or, you know, the shop supervisor, something like that, maybe climbing up the ladder of the timber trade. Because he wasn't dumb. And he was keen. He loved the work, see? So a whole lot was thrown away simply because an impulse came up that he didn't know how to process. And most people who lose their job, it's not because they can't do the work. Now, this is from, once again, statistics. It's not because they can't do the work. It's because they don't get on with the people. Now, here's a bit more Dunedin study for you. The importance of self-control is clear. Health researchers report that self-control predicts early mortality. That means how, long when you, how young you are when you die. Psychiatric disorders and unhealthy behaviours such as overeating, smoking, unsafe sex, drunk driving and non-compliance with medical regimens. That means not doing what the doctor says, which of course doesn't help you to live well. Sociologists, those are social scientists, sociologists find that low self-control predicts unemployment. And that's exactly what happened with Aaron's story. And criminologists name self-control as a central causal variable in crime theory, providing evidence that low self-control characterises lawbreakers. Now there's another study I read which was in last year's a journal of Child Psychiatry and Psychology, a New Zealand magazine, and said this. Children with poor conduct, that's like saying poor behaviour, but it's close to self-control. Children with poor conduct make up 9% of the population, but they grow up to make more than 53% of the prison population. 
Of this small group, less than 10%, 50% grow up to make heavy demands on the health system and the welfare system and the criminal justice system. This small group is so involved. And what they find the best predictor is when this kid's three, they look at him and they say, have you got good self-control. A few years ago, I didn't write this down, but I think I'll tell you, Celia Lashley, the well-known New Zealand uh, woman, she was, she was the first woman to ever work in a New Zealand men's prison. She went on to be the head of a woman's prison herself. But she said publicly, there's a little blonde, blue-eyed boy, three years old, he looks cute, and he's going to prison. And the whole country went into uproar. Do you remember that? People were mad. You can't see that. But she said, I can. Unless somebody does, she said, I'm not saying it from hate. I'm saying it from love. If somebody doesn't do something, this beautiful little boy will go to jail. Now, Celia Lashley didn't explain it the way I am, but she saw things in this kid that says he's on this road unless someone helps him. There's a problem around Huntley with bad sons. Elder abuse around here is huge, and I'm thinking my uh, my think on this tonight. The sons are typically somewhere around their late teens to early 20s. The mothers are typically around 50 years old. You get these boys who absolutely treat their mothers absolutely terribly. They steal from them. They threaten them. They turn up drunk. They smash the place up. All sorts of stuff. Common, common, common around here, right? Now, I've got, I was talking to, to the principals of the Huntley Primary School, and I said to Heather, and I said, you know, I just can't believe this. These terrible sons, it's just awful. And she took, had a different take to me. She said, well, she said, these mothers, they raised these little boys from when they were tiny, and they allowed them to behave like that. And now they're bigger than their mothers. What do you expect? They never trained them. Uh, Heather was tougher than me. She was a hard woman. Now, years ago, I used to take Hannah up to netball at Mary Street. And at that time, there was a T-shirt that little three three, four-year-old boys, only ever boys, not girls, a little T-shirt that these kids used to wear. And the T-shirt said this, I'm the boss and I don't take shit from nobody. That's what the T-shirt said. I don't know who gave the kid the T-shirt, but I bet it's the mother who put it on him. And I used to look at these little boys going around the netball court like they were some little demigod and say, I hope I don't meet you when you're 14. Can you see why? Well, life has a way of coming around, doesn't it? Ten years later, the principal of Huntley College came up to me at a funeral. And he said, are you Jeremy Welsh? Yes. I said, he said, I need you to come and teach in my school. We've got a whole bunch of kids in our school that teachers are just going mad. They don't know what to do with them. So guess what? I went into the school and I guess I met those little three-year-olds, but now they're 13. All right? And they were very tough fellas. And uh, a lot of them didn't do well. And some of them did, because it actually wasn't too late for them to learn some self-control. And we set some good things up, and some good things happened. Now, about the same time, I was up the road there, and I was a little boy, I'll call him Jed, and uh, he, he was, I was, I was sitting on my motorbike, talking to his mum, right, we got on all right, her and me, we were friends, and she's talking to me, and this little guy, Jed, comes out of the garden, and he walks up to my motorbike, and he kicks this bike as hard as he can. Kick, kick, kick the bike. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this kid? And the mother just didn't say anything. Now, at three years old, he might have been four, Jed had no self-control. 
And before he was 20, Jed was in, was in, sorry, not in hospital, he was in prison for a sexual crime that was so horrible that nobody's ever told me exactly what it was. It was some horrendous sexual crime. And you say, no, hang on, Jeremy, what's the, big, what's the big step between kicking a motorbike and doing a terrible sexual crime? The link is, there was no self-control. And it's self-control is the character quality that says how he's going to end up. And it was a tragedy, because actually, I liked him. He was a nice little boy. But he didn't have that guidance. His dad didn't have self-control. So he'd, he'd seen modelled, you know, this kind of violence and kicking the place around. That must be time for a Bible story about self-control. So here it comes. It's called David Spares Saul's Life. After Saul... Ret- now, this is back in the day. David is a young guy that God has said one day will be king. Saul is the current king. He doesn't like that idea at all. So Saul has, decides that he wants to wipe David out before this happens. So he's not playing games. Let's just be clear about the agenda. Saul's agenda is to kill David. That can just, and just being killed once can mess up your whole day. Now, and this is what it says. After Saul returned, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 top able young men from all Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And just in case you don't know, that means he had to go toilet, all right? All right, we got that out the way. Now, David and, me, David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day Yahweh spoke of when he said to you, David, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed to Saul. Now, remember, Saul is going to kill him. So David creeps up. Here's the king doing his business. And David, what does he do? Do you remember? He takes a knife. What does he do? He cuts a piece off Saul's clothes. He does. And he takes it back. And Saul doesn't notice. He must have been pretty engrossed. All right. So then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscious, stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, that Yahweh's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he's the anointed one. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men, and he did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. And then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. Now, I picture this, that Saul's right back with his men on a hill far away, and he calls out to Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is trying to harm you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some people urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is Yahweh's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See, there's nothing in my hand to show I'm guilty of wrongdoing. I've not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. May God judge between you and me. And may Yahweh avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? Ooh, that's a bit friendlier than saying I'm going to kill you, isn't it? And he wept aloud. The king cried. Do you realize why? David had touched his heart. 
You are more righteous than I am, he said. You've treated me well and I've treated you badly. You've just told me now about the good you did to me. Yahweh delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May Yahweh reward you for the way that you treated me today. Know that you will surely be the king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now that's self-control because everything lined up. David's just in the cave. His men are there. They're waiting. They're hiding. And the very person who they need to get walks into the cave is right in front of them. And they can just do anything they want. Not only that, but David's mates are saying, come on, come on, man. Let's get him. This is your chance. God has sent me. They actually said that. Remember, Yahweh said this would happen. He's in your hands. And David goes, nah. That's self-control, all right? It's self-control when everything seems to be just right, but you know it's not. And uh, so David, that day, he grew as a man. His mana grew because of self-control. Now, in the shop, you know, the chalk bar's bent. The shopkeeper's not looking. But when you say no, you grow as a person. No, I'm not going to take it. Uh, It's raining, I'm tired, the keys are in the car. But when you don't take the car... Excuse me, lady, you left your keys in the door. Oh, thank you very much. You grow as a person because you've turned your back on that temptation. You've grown in self-control. We're at a conference. No one else from Huntley is here. No one will notice which room I go into tonight and her room's near mine. Why wouldn't I do it? Because I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's why. God would know, wouldn't he? So I don't do it. And as I say no to temptation, then I grow as a person. That's self-control. Who's going to hurt if you get some free medical treatment? No one will know. Anyway, it's a racist rule. Just go and put, put down Tainui. No. We grow when we use self-control. And I'm tired. There's plenty of people to pick onions. Anyway, my neighbour gets paid for doing nothing. Why should I go and pick onions? Because when you decide to get up and go and pick the onions, you're showing self-control and you grow as a person. Your mana grows. And God's pleased. Have I got you convinced? Do you believe it? Yeah? So how do we grow self-control in our kids, all right? Now, if you're not a parent, if you are a parent, this is for you. If you're not a parent yet, you'll be surprised by how soon it'll be. So remember this stuff, okay? And you guys, in the unusual situation, listen up when I'm talking to you. You guys in the unusual situation that you get to raise teenagers before you raise babies, all right? Because you're youth leaders. Now, if you're a camp leader or something like that, every person in here has got some situation where you're dealing with people who are looking to you for guidance, all right? You older ones there, they might be people my age. I'm just pointing out here that you, some of you guys are older than me, all right, in case anybody didn't. I just want you to know that, all right? But what happens is every one of us has got people who's looking to us to say, how's this working out? How do we do this? All right? Every one of us. So if I'm talking about parenting, don't say, oh, that's not me. Yes, it is. There's someone. So how do we grow self-control in our kids? Well, I watch my daughter Hannah, and she's really good. She's got, her kids are quite high-strung, you know. Ah, they just going to go into meltdown. And Hannah just goes quietly up to them, really close, and she says, use your words, come on, use your words. Tell me what you want to say. They go, ah, she took the toy car with me. You know, and hey, come on, come on, calm down. See, she's teaching them self-control. But that would just be all caca. It wouldn't even work if she didn't do the main thing. Do you know what the main thing is? Do you? What is it? We've got to model it. We've got to do it, all right? We've got to model it. 
Because if we do it, if the kids see us do it, like they do with Hannah, I mean, her kids are driving her nuts, you know, it's five o'clock trying to cook the tea, and if she goes, ah, she's modelling that, but she doesn't say, come on, calm down, tell me what's wrong. So she's modelling self-control right there and then. But modelling is important. Now, at youth group one night, we had this great big ding-dong outside, but it was a tick thing, you know, like there's, there's, there's three girls from the youth group, they're out the front, and there's, and there's this middle-aged woman saying, ah, and the girls are and I'm going out, there's this, oh, well, good, give us a break here, you know. So anyway, I can't remember how we got the woman on her way, but here I am left with these teenage girls, three of them, and uh, they go, oh, she, blah, 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 this woman came out, and they, they, I can't remember the details of it, but I said to them, well, actually, you know, you three weren't exactly being angels, you know, you were, you were pretty much giving as good as you got, because you were yelling and swearing too. And then the girl said, yes, sir, but she's the adult. You know what? They're exactly right. She was the adult, for goodness sake. The girls were just 13, 14. And I said, okay, you're right. She's the adult. I mean, I'd love it if the girls had responded better. But the, the woman was the adult. It's true. Now, like a lot of things in life, learning self-control is a process. Don't think that it just comes magically. I've got it, all right? Don't we wish? It's a process. It takes time. And uh, I used to be a teacher at a school out there called Waikakawai School. And one day we came along after, after lunchtime and then the bell rang. Ding, 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 and then all the kids come and they, they wait on the steps to come into school. And I'm looking around and there's a boy missing. I'll call him Bazza. It wasn't his real name. So hey, where's Bazza? The kids go, oh, he had a bit of a fight with Grant. You know, so, oh, okay. So anyway... Uh, what, what does the Bible say we do when one person's lost and we've still got all the others? What do we do? Do you know? We, we leave the ones who are found and we go search for the ones lost, right? So that's what we do. Okay, kids, go on and do either whatever they do in school. I don't know. So I, I am meant to know, aren't I? All right. I can't remember. <laughs> and so I just thought, all right, where's Bazaar going to be? Now, that school was built on a very steep hill. And so at the lower end, it had a very high basement, you know, much higher than, higher than that, even taller than me. And, and so I went down. I just, I just knew where he was. I suppose God told me. I went down. I went down. I went in the, the door. The kids weren't meant to be under the school. And I went in there, and there he was, just in, in the basement, you know, like dirt floor, the piles of junk and stuff. And here's Bazza just there. So I said, uh, why are you here, Bazza? I said, did you have a bit of a, a squabble with Grant? What should I have done? What should I do? Because I'll tell you what, some of my teachers have done. What are you doing in here? I told you to line up and rebel. You're in detention, right? Wouldn't some teachers do that? But I'm meant to be a man of God, so I didn't do that. So what I did, I went up to Baza, gave him a hug and said, I know what happened. You felt real mad, eh? But you didn't want to, didn't want to punch him out. So he just came down here to get a bit of time, right? And he says, yeah. And he let me give him a hug. I said, good boy. I'm really proud of you. That was great. I said, well, you just stay down here as long as you need to. And um, I know we are. You're safe. You just stay here till you feel better. And when you're ready, you just come back up into class, okay? Okay, he said. Because I'm not going to tell you that the way that Bazza responded was ideal. It wasn't. He wasn't a grown-up. But it was a lot better than the way he, that he would have responded before. Do you see what's happening? 
We don't become perfect like that. We learn. It's a process. And we have to be gentle. Uh, we have to be gentle with our kids and recognize that there are steps to go through. And you have to be gentle for yourself. And you have to be gentle for your partner. I'm going to tell you a little story here. I want you to visualize this and tell me, is this a story of self-control or not? All right? Mum and dad are having a great big going on here. And dad, the kids are watching, and they're watching closely because dad's fists are starting to, you know how it is? And dad's, and he's breathing, starting to, you see? And the kids are watching, and they're kind of tense because they know what's coming. And suddenly dad stands up. He walks to the door. He opens the door, and he goes outside, he closes the door like that, he walks down the steps, along the driveway, they look out the window, they see him walk past the mailbox and up the road. And kind of, the tension kind of, and they, they say, what's up, Mum? And she says, oh, Dad was just feeling pretty upset, so he's gone for a walk to calm down. And the kid's just... Now here's a question. Who was the first person to show self-control in that story? Dad was, eh? Was Dad's behaviour perfect? It wasn't. You know, I'd like to think that Mum and Dad could get past that to ways where they could, they could work their differences out without quite getting to that stage. But nonetheless, big ups to Dad, all right? Big ups to Dad. He didn't, sh- he didn't smash anything. He didn't, sma- he didn't slam the door. He didn't smash the mailbox. And most of all, he didn't hit Mum, all right? So dad has made some progress. Who was the second person in that to show self-control? Mum, because she didn't badmouth dad to the kids, all right? When the kids say, what's going on? She says, oh, your dad just needs a bit of time out. And the kids go, whoa. Usually mum goes, your father, blah, 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 you see? But she didn't because of self-control. All right, here's the third one for you. Who was the third person? Who is the third person in this story to show self-control? The kids. Now, the next time mum and dad go to the to parent interviews, the teacher says, I don't know what it is, but Sammy seems to have a lot more, he's a lot more calm in himself. He doesn't fly off the handle so fast. If people annoy him, he's, he handles it a, a lot better than he did. It's like something good's happening with Sammy, all right, because the kids are watching. They're picking it up. And parents, as we model, because we all have tensions, we all have troubles, as we model that, our kids begin to learn and pick up the way it is. Of course, we want to be perfect. We want to be perfect, but we have to celebrate our steps along the way. All right, so there it is. What's the character quality that scientists say makes the biggest difference to how well we do in life? Self-control, that's right. What age can we see this character quality begin to show? Certainly at three. In fact, you can watch, I think, two-year-olds. And and I must say that scientists tell us that this is a character quality that can be learned. I'm very glad scientists tell us that because the Bible tells us we have to learn it. So if scientists said we couldn't, we'd be in a pickle, wouldn't we? All right. Here's the next question for you, you brainy lot. What's What's the most important way that parents and leaders can help other younger people grow in self-control. The most, it's modelling it, doesn't it? It's showing us. Sorry to parrot your answers, but the way it goes on the recording. Uh, and does, self, does self-control suddenly appear, or does it grow? Of course it grows, like everything else in our life, right? There's not one person. You look around the room and go, oh, he's, he's been a Christian a long time. 
I'll bet you there's times when everybody in this room goes, whoops, I didn't handle that too well. True? Yeah, well, it is for me anyway. All right. Is that helpful? If it's not for you, it's for kids or for young Christians you're helping to grow up. Now, there's a, couple, there's a few more things I've got to say on this. First one is this. A lot of people, maybe everyone, has special areas of self-control that are very, very difficult for them. You might have good self-control in most areas of life, but there's one or two ways you fall down, something specific, all right? Some people, it's around food. Some people, it's around um, alcohol, cannabis, or some of the other drugs that people use to make them feel better. With some people, it's around anger management. With some people, it's around hoarding stuff and they can't tidy up. You know, there's all kinds of things where people's self-control might be good except for that. We could call those areas of poor self-control, we could call them addictions, we could call them life-controlling habits. Now, of all the things that Jesus was mad at the religious leaders for, here's one. He told them off because they told people what to do, but they didn't help them to do it. He said, Pharisees, you lay these burdens on people and you don't help them to carry them. That's one of the worst things a church could do. In this church, we don't do that. In fact, at this church, we have a special group that's set up to help people with life-controlling habits. Mark's going to come and tell you a bit about that. He's looking very surprised, but I promise you I didn't tell him. I did tell him. <laughs> so that surprised look was just a fake. <laughs> Evening. I'm enjoying this. Um, I just want to start off by saying, actually, to be honest, I had no idea what you were going to talk about tonight, really. And if I could say one thing that I struggled with uh, for a long time and still do, it is self-control. Like, I remember um, if, we were, if we were especially good, my mum would let me and my sister pick, like, a dollar mixture, you know, from a dairy. And I would eat all of mine in five minutes. I would just smash it all out. And my sister, she would save it. And it bugged the heck out of me. I hate it. She, she, I knew where it was. It'd be sitting there. And, uh, and she, would, she would say, I'll give you a lolly if, if you make my bed. And I'd, think, <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd think about it, and I'd make the bed. And I'd get a lolly. And so she would get all these things done for a handful of lollies, just because I lacked self-control. I don't, yeah, yeah that just, I just remember that before. Anyway, I'm here to talk about CAP. Um, so, yeah, CAP Release Group... Um, is a support group, basically. And as for people, like Jeremy said, um, struggling with dependencies on things and, and life-controlling habits, and that's anything. Uh, yeah, anger, food, um, drug addiction, uh, yeah, anything really. Um, so it, it's, what I like about it is um, when I was struggling with addiction, it's when you're by yourself and isolated, that's really hard. You know, you, you tend to get into a bit of a spiral and uh, the support group is just realising that um, there are actually other people out there that not only can be struggling with the same thing, but struggling with, um, yeah, just this this inability to kind of move forward in a habit. Um, so, yeah, the, the release group, we go through a... An eight-week course is based on the 12 steps, which is from AA, which was, I think, created in about the 40s. Um, 
quite a lot of research around it, but I, I believe it works. Um, so yeah, it, it's a pretty bulletproof program. Um, my, I, I co-facilitate it with my mum. Um, so she's been a counsellor for 13 years, a drug and alcohol counsellor. So she's got all the, all the proper experience and I've got all the drug experience. So together, <laughs> make a good team. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's, we're just about to finish our second course uh, on Tuesday, um, but there is another course starting on the 14th of January. So yeah, if you're interested, come see me. Um, I've got cards, you can look up more information, and um, yeah, would love to see you there if, um, if you need it. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks. Great. And it's been a great thing. It's helped lots of people, and uh, I really... Big mehi to you, Mark. It's a wonderful thing. Now, good on you. All right. Now, there's one more thing that I'm going to say. I'm going to put it out there. Sometimes people are struggling so much with something that it defies all logic. It just doesn't seem to make any sense at all. And they don't seem to be able to shake it. Sometimes people find that, in fact, they're under the power, under the influence of some some bad spiritual powers that are out there. And sometimes what happens is they need prayer or even deliverance. Now, if you've got something that you just don't seem to be able to shift, actually this is the place where you're meant to come. You're meant to talk to Christians, nut it through, work it out, get prayer, do what it takes. Because one of the things we're really into here is freedom. That's what we want for you. Now to finish off with, I want to talk about one more thing. And that's this. There might be somebody out there who says, Jeremy, you've missed the point. And you might be right. Because here's the point. Here's the point. Now, you, somebody nearly said it at the beginning, but I want you to have a look at this. We looked at the list, but look this time at the beginning of the sentence. Do you see what it says? But the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Look at the tree. It doesn't sit there and go, Hell, am I going to make this fruit? It just does. All right? The tree just bees a tree. Is that a word? Bees? It just bees a tree. <laughs> Sorry for asking. I'm meant to be an English teacher. It just does its tree thing and the fruit comes. Now, I've told you a lot about self-control. And if you say to yourself, look, I really want to get self-control. I want to work at this. I want to get help. I want to get prayer. I'm going to come to release group. Great. Brilliant. I want to develop this in my kids. But I want to tell you the most natural way to get these things in that list is to live a life of the Spirit. God's Spirit works within us to change us. And the thing is, if we actually do that, if we surrender to God and say, all right, God, you just come in. I'm going to do what Jeremy talked about last time. I'm going to feed on Christ. I'm going to think about the things he says. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get people to bring out the best in me. You may be surprised by how easily and how naturally these things change when you're not even particularly thinking about them. They're just the fruit that naturally comes when you're growing in Christ. Does that make some sense? It's a good picture, isn't it? It's fruit. 
So don't forget, I've talked a lot about stuff tonight that sounds pretty hard slog. But actually, if we plug into God and walk with him every day, if we let him speak to us and feed us, it's actually surprisingly natural thing to do. There's one more thing I'm going to ask you, which I always seem to ask you, and it's this. Tell us how you get on. I, f- I got that picture of people talking there because the internet taught me, when I looked for that, that everybody on the internet is young and beautiful. So that's, because that's true of us too, I put that picture up there. I should have had that picture of everyone having dinner, shouldn't I? But th- this, is what I, this is why I say this, all right? Life is hard. You need some backup. It's true, isn't it? So if you've made a bit of progress, tell someone, huh? Can I tell you something that happened this week that made me think maybe we're starting to get somewhere? Tell someone. Pick, pick who you tell. <laughs> or if it's really hard, you go, oh, I thought I'd got this thing cracked and I just fell flat on my face. Can I talk to you for a minute? And you get, you, oh, have a cry, have a huggies, and they pray, all right, dust you off. Come on, I'll pray for you. Come on, Libby, you can do it. And, and, and send her on her way, right? That's number one. By sharing, God meant us to share, by the way. By sharing, we strengthen each other. And when you're down, I'm up. And then I'm down and you pick me up. Well, I thought you were meant to be the strong one. No, I'm a wreck. All right? That's number one. Tell people how you're getting on. But number two, I thought of this morning. Because I sat down with a friend who I really respect. And I said, have you noticed how your self-control, as it grows, is reflecting in your child? And she goes, no. And we talked at some length. I said, this is what you did. You showed self-control in this way, and your son followed. On the spot. It didn't take months. And then you did this, and your son did it. And then you did this. And you didn't yell, and he didn't yell. And you didn't swear, and he didn't swear. And you didn't storm out, and he didn't. And you were cheerful, and he was cheerful. So what's happening? And this boy was 15, for goodness sake, not a little kid. But he's taking the lead from his mother and his father. They were both in the room. It was a very stressful situation. And this boy's looking, how am I going to respond? He responded so well because his mum and his dad led the way. So that means I'm not just going to tell you about what I'm going through, but I might come up to you, and you might go up to someone and say, can I tell you something good that I've noticed going on in your life? Have you ever done that? And they go, me, really? He said, yes, there's a change. Is there? I didn't know. So sometimes we need to tell people that we're seeing what God's doing. Make some sense? Yeah, let's do it. Thank you, God, that you care more about us than we do ourselves. If these scientists say that self-control is the most important thing of all, and if you say it's a fruit of the Spirit, then we must be very, very interested in this. We know that if our kids have self-control, they'll lead better lives. They'll be happier. They'll stay out of trouble. They'll be safer. We also know that if we model that self-control, it'll help our kids and the young ones who look up to us. And we also know it'll be good for us too. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people of self-control. And you'd help it happen naturally as we draw close to you, listen to you, encourage each other and allow other people to encourage us. We thank you for the scientists who work so hard, but we thank you more than anything for the Bible, the wonderful book of life that tells us how to have a good life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.